0: Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. In the Chicago Tribune, a lady by the name of Cheryl Lavin, she wrote an article, and the, the title of this article was this, Rules Guys Wish Girls Played By, and here is as a long list, but here are some of the things that's been selected from this article on Rules Guys Wish Girls Played By. Here's number one, if you ask a question you don't really want an answer to, expect an answer you didn't really want to hear. Uh, when, we, when we have to go somewhere, absolutely anything you wear is fine. Really. Uh, number three, ask what you want. Let's be clear on this one. Subtle hints don't work. Strong hints don't work. Really obvious hints don't work. Just say it. Again, rules guys wish girls play by. Number four, we're not mind readers and we never will be. Our lack of mind-reading ability is not proof of how little we care about you. Number five, yes and no are perfectly acceptable answers to almost every question. Number six, come to us with uh, uh, a problem only if you want help solving it. That's what we do. (laughs) Sympathy is what your girlfriends are for. I need an amen right there. All right, there we go. That will help you ladies in a great way. Number seven. Anything we said six months ago is inadmissible in an argument. All comments become null and void after seven days. Number eight. If something we said can be interpreted two ways, and one of the ways makes you sad or angry, we meant the other way. Number nine. You can ask us uh, to do something or tell us how you want it done, but not both. (laughs) Number 10, whenever possible, please say whatever you have to say during commercials. (laughs) And finally, if we ask what's wrong and you say nothing, we will act like nothing's wrong. (laughs) We know you're lying. But it's just not worth the hassle, all right? All of this underscores how little women know about men and how little men know about women. The point of today's text, though, is for women to know what God wants them to know about women. And I'd like for everyone to look up here for just a moment. We've We've had the handouts. We've had a light moment here just to get started. I've got your attention. I'd like for you to look up here. As a preacher of the Word of God, as a pastor of this church, it is never my intention to be sandpaper in a wound. It's never my intention to be a burr under a saddle. It's never my intention to be deliberately divisive, like, hey, after the service, man, look what I accomplished today. I got everybody upset. That's never my intention. However, there are times that we must go where the Word of God takes us. And today, if you come from a feminist background, the passage of Scripture that we're about to read is not Brent Armstrong speaking. It's the Word of God speaking. And I would like to ask you to please, before you check out, I'm not listening to anything else he has to say, I'm asking you to listen to the totalitarian of the whole message so that when we get to the end, we can say, thus saith the Lord. And I merely want to expand delicately a passage of Scripture that was written to successful Christian women, mothers, and grandmothers. And to do that, let's begin Titus chapter 2 as we look at verse 4 and verse number 5. The Apostle Paul is writing, obviously, to Titus, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Wow, what a minefield. There's already some phrases in there that I'm just petrified to talk to you ladies about. But with God's help, my role as a pastor is to merely expound upon the Scripture. And thus saith the Lord. I am not trying to be divisive. I am not trying to cause a harm, hardship in your relationships, but my goal, my publicly stated goal, is to merely explain what the Word of God says, and then if you're upset, you're upset with Him, and He carries a much bigger stick than I do, so I don't think I'd be upset with Him. What I'd want to do is, what does God think that our homes should look like? Father, I ask that you will bless this passage of Scripture. Father, please help me not to be funny, cute, or trite, but help me to stick to that which you have explained in your word and to be a help to Tucson Baptist Church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We find ourselves in the midst of a passage here dealing with different groups of people within the church. In fact, when we get in our study on Sunday nights to Titus chapter 2, we're going to see that there's a number of different types of people that Paul is dealing with. And of course, in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul gave his protege, Titus, instructions for setting up the leadership in the local churches on the island of Crete. In fact, we're in verse number 5 now in our study, and he told them to ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And then he uh, gives gives the qualifications and the duties of elders or pastors. And Paul moves into chapter 2 to encourage Titus in dealing with all the different groups that are within a church. And do you realize that we have 12 to 13 different groups of people here? uh, As I was sitting down and thinking about all the different groups of people that we have within our own church. In chapter 2, verse number 1, Paul says uh, to Titus, But speak thou the things which become or that are (coughs) consistent with sound doctrine. In other words, please understand, what is going to take place here in chapter 2 is that Paul is going to teach Titus what is sound doctrine that was given to him by God. Titus was not only to teach the people a healthy theology but a lifestyle that was consistent with this sound doctrine. And so we must understand this morning, there's to be no division in our beliefs and our behavior. Our beliefs and our behavior should align together. I trust that you will understand that this morning. As Christians, we are not only to know what is right, but we are to do what is right. And as we learn sound doctrine, we're to allow it to actually shape the way that we live, how we speak, Where we go, what we watch. In verse number 3, we learn about the lifestyle of older Christian women. Now, do not be uh, dismayed by that terminology. Older, older women are to be given a place of honor in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 2, Paul, uh, he told Timothy to treat the older women as mothers. And by comparing this text with First Timothy chapter number five, we know that an aged or older woman would be someone that has passed the age of sixty years, a uh, uh, well past the child-bearing, uh, child-rearing stages of life. So the older women of the church were 60 years of age and older. Well, let's stop right there. Let's see how many older women that are 60 years of age and older. And if you'd please stand with me for just a moment if you're able to, all right? So, and please stay standing for just a moment and don't applaud yet, okay? All right, so we're not there yet. Um, um, I, I want us to understand conceptually that we can look around and we can see in our own church the apostle paul under the leadership the divine leadership of the church uh, excuse me of the holy spirit he's writing to the church to teach us the significance of the older women in the church are you to be dismissed absolutely not Paul says you're to be giving, elevated, a position of honor in the church. Now, stay standing if you're physically able to. The older women of the church, the Bible says they're to be reverent in their behavior, on priest-like, almost models, if you will, of holiness. They're not to be false. You are not to be a false accuser. You are not to be a slander. You are not to be a malicious gossip. You're not to be given to much wine either. That's what he said. There shouldn't be you shouldn't be tipsy in here. Rather, Paul specifically says this that you are to be teachers of good things. And we're gonna describe what some of those good things are this morning. Let's thank all of the older ladies in our church and you can be seated. The apostle Paul said to the older ladies of the church, and we're going to get to the younger ladies too, so you're not off the hook just yet, all right? Paul says to the older ladies here, he says that you're to be teachers of good things. What in the world are you to teach? Well, look with me in First Timothy chapter two. In verse number 12, that's just over a couple pages in your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Women are to be, in verse number 4, teachers of children, of other women. In fact, in verse number 4, we see that the older women are specifically to teach, that means to admonish the younger women. Teach, in verse number 4, comes from a Greek word that means this, to bring people back to their senses. And we know that there were many false teachers in the early church. Everybody had an opinion. It didn't line up with scripture, but everybody's opinion was important and they taught it as doctrine. Folks, that's why God has given us his word. And if we will stick by his word, we won't get in trouble. But when we think I know better than God's word, that's when our families get in trouble. And in chapter 1, verse 11, we read of those who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not. In 2 Timothy 3, in verse number 6, it speaks of false teachers who creep into houses, and they lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts. The older women were to admonish. They were to bring the young women back to their senses, giving them sound, wholesome, wise, healthy teaching about the home. By the way, whether we like it or not, that biblical pattern still stands today. Oh, how the church, may I just say, oh, how Tucson Baptist Church needs the older women to teach and to help the younger women in our church. There is so much false teaching today. When I say false teaching, can I be more specific? What do I mean by false teaching? The fact of the matter is is that our false teaching comes from the magazines we read. It comes from the television that we watch. It comes from our social media that we watch on TikTok and, and Instagram and Facebook. Our false teaching comes from what looks like fun that the rest of the world is doing. Modern feminism has trained the women of our culture to disdain, to despise the biblical view of womanhood. Now, folks, please help me to be bold and blunt and and, and, and allow me just to say, there is nothing sinful about being a godly woman. May I just say on the flip side, it's very attractive. A woman that loves God is very attractive. A woman that wants to have a home that's pleasing to the Lord is very attractive. And ladies, if you're struggling with this whole feministic view that you're seeing in all your social media and movies and television, versus, uh, man, that that church—they're they're, they're, they're cultish. They say that we ought to love God. Yes, I said it. We want you to love God. We want you to model that in your home. And we want you to model that to the younger ladies. And younger ladies, we want you to learn from the older ladies that there's nothing wrong with being a woman of God. Modern woman, uh, the modern women of today, they've been programmed to think this. My career is more important than my family. That's a damnable heresy that will destroy your family. Your career is not more important than your family. Well, some of you checked out right there. No, I said you got to listen to the end. Listen all the way to the end. Some believe that their job is more important than their husband and their children. Some believe that money and materialism is more important than being a godly woman. And let me say from the outside of this message that this is not an easy passage to teach. And I feel like I'm in a room full of, uh, like I'm a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. This is a dangerous message today. But if God will allow me grace and mercy, I want to be able to speak truth today. And if you have bought into the lives of the modern feminist movement, you will find that today's message is completely countercultural. is nothing wrong with being a godly lady. And there's everything right with being a godly lady. And today's message flies in the face of everything that you see on television and in the movies, on your social media, and the magazines, and the things that you experience in the business world, and the things that you observe on today's modern university campus. Young women, look around you. Look to some of these godly ladies that have just stood, and and it, there's nothing wrong with seeking their advice and godly counsel, and take note of those families who their children have grown up, and their children love God. What did they do? What was right about that? Let me give you this morning in our time, and I know what time it is, but I'm excited about this message. Let's jump into it. I've got seven thoughts. All right, let's go through them. Seven characteristics that the Bible lays out uh, that should be present in the life of every godly, godly young woman, every godly, godly older woman, and every godly, godly single woman. And we could even... A uh, 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 subtitle this message, Seven Secrets uh, to Be Successful as a Woman. Here's godly characteristic number one. Godly characteristic number one is that Christian women are to love their husbands. Well, preacher, you lost me there. You don't know my husband. Whew. Young women are to be taught to love their husbands. And it requires that they, in fact, have husbands, obviously. So we got to clarify what Paul was speaking here. You say, well, I'm single and I'm not married. Does that mean I'm living in sin? And absolutely, that does not mean that. In fact... Uh, Paul even wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says this, I say therefore to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. In other words, it's a good thing to be single. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, uh, for it is better to marry than to burn. Singleness, the the apostle Paul said, is a spiritual gift. And some people have it, but most do not. Most uh, young women are either already married or they want to be married. and, and, And this teaching in Titus This is intended for them. So we note in verse number 2 that the older women refers to women that are well past their childbearing, child-rearing years, and and, and perhaps as old as 60. Um, And and the fact of the matter is is those older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. And at first it might seem uh, superfluous to say that young women are to be taught to love their husbands. Isn't it natural uh, that a woman loves her husband? If she does does not love him, uh, she she wouldn't be with him, right? Um, That depends on how we define this word, L-O-V-E. In secular culture, love refers to romantic emotional feelings, and we speak of Falling in love with someone. Folks, if you can fall in love with someone, guess what? You can fall out of love. Right? Okay. Um, the fact of the matter is that most of us, we have had and the, known these passionate feelings. When you first met her, when you first met him, you couldn't even go 15 minutes without thinking of him or her. You call and you text and you call, uh, talk on the phone and you write long letters uh, and you just explore the depths of your soul and uh, you notice how your love interest uh, uh, smells and smiles and talks and, and you become emotionally attached uh, That to be separated for just a few minutes It tears your heart out. (laughs) Most of you have known that kind of love before. Before. (laughs) But here's what you have to be willing to acknowledge: those feelings, they come and they go. And experience tells us that we cannot sustain such emotion for a long period of time, let alone a lifetime. So So in our culture, people are always falling into love and falling out of love. And here's what happens. When those passionate feelings subside, they they no longer look at each other and they begin to look at someone else to fall in love all over again because their life is dependent on those ooshy-gushy, passionate feelings. But on the contrary, if I haven't lost you yet, God's plan, not Brent's plan, God's plan is for married couples is that they would grow deeply and genuinely to love each other. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, God commands, Husbands, love your wives. And the ladies say, Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, so ought men uh, to love their wives as their own bodies. Here in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 4, young women are to be taught to love their husband. In God's kingdom, in God's design for the family, Marriage is made of a mutual love. It is not one-sided. It is a mutual love. And the love of a Christian marriage is not merely romantic, emotional, sexual love, although such feelings are definitely part of a marriage. Even Hebrews says that marriage is honorable and all, and the bed is undefiled. Rather, in a godly marriage, love is, de- is defined as growing in a lifelong commitment. And Paul uses the Greek word philandros here, which speaks of a determined love that is is uh, that that is not based on a husband's worthiness. Um, uh, it's not based on a wife's faithfulness. It's based upon the obedience to God's command for a husband to love his wife and a wife to love her husband. Ladies, I, 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 wanna, I, I don't want to be funny here. I, I, I'm not being funny. I know it's not easy to love your husband. I know because I am a husband, and I know how easily I frustrate my wife. And um, we, we may have started out with some warmer, warm, fuzzy, shiver up the spine, can't get enough of you type of love. But if you've been married for more than a, a minute, it has probably uh, uh, now uh, it, it faded into a routine of picking up his socks and, and washing his underwear and cleaning out hair out of the sink. And, and if that is your life, you know what the Bible says? Love your husband. That's what the Bible says. And if you do not feel that emotional passion right now, that's okay. Uh, You must train yourself. The Bible says the older ladies help the younger ladies to love their husbands. Love is built over time. Love is built every day. Uh, these godly older women uh, 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 have not always had it easy and, and they, uh, 2,000 years ago it was a tough life. Uh, it's, we, the, the, hardest, the person who has the hardest here today uh, it lives like a filthy rich king compared to what it was like 2,000 years ago. They have learned that the secret of love is not to seek what you want all the time but to put your spouse first. Father's Day is coming. It's equally true of the husband's responsibility to love his wife. But Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And if this is true in our relationships within the church, how much uh, more true would it be in our marriage relationships? Ladies, to love your husband is God's command, and there is not an exception. To not love him is to sin against God. And loving your husband is also part of your witness as a Christian. And so this selfless, loving commitment you have to have uh, to your husband, it's designed to draw unsaved people to Christ. Because of your demonstration of your love for your husband, even when he's unlovable. Man, it's getting quiet in here, and it is getting hot up here. (laughs) Let's go to point number two. Godly, characteristic number two. Christian women, and I know the ladies are going to be all over this, are to love their children. Christian women are to love children their children not only are the young women to learn to love their husbands but also to love their children and loving your husband comes first in fact a literal translation of the greek text would go something like this train the young husband loving woman to be child loving the greatest way to show love to your kids is exhibit the love for their dad and whether your children were born to or adopted into your family, they're to be loved with that same selfless and sacrificial love that would characterize, characterize all Christian relationships. Your children are your responsibility. Oh, man. It was good until about right now. Moms, God gave you to raise and train your children. He did not give them to you so that some babysitter that does not have their best interest at heart to be trained against what is scriptural principles. He gave them to you. According to an editorial entitled Raising a Wild Child in the June 11, 2010 edition of Christianity Today, in the 1960 U.S. Census Bureau reported that 88% of American children live with both parents. Fewer than 20% of mothers worked outside the home. In 1998, only 68% of children live with both parents, and nearly 70% of all mothers worked outside the home. In 2010, 90% of all mothers work outside the home. Today, today, nationwide, there are 125,000 licensed daycare centers and 286,000 licensed family child care homes. Has our culture changed since the 60s? It sure has. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that we do live in America and uh, due to just being able to survive financially is that it's been necessary for for both uh, uh, mom and dad to work. I make no value judgment about that. I understand bills have to be paid. But here's my problem that I can get from what Paul is saying. And from my relationship with the Lord and seeing and dealing with so many families is the fact is, is that we wantonly and and, and we don't even look, uh, we don't even look for alternatives and we allow someone who is ungodly, unsaved to train our children. And we allow someone, whether it's in a school setting uh, where we have absolutely no clue who that third-grade teacher is, who that eighth-grade teacher is, and they have no, they have a relationship with God, or they don't have a relationship with God, they, they believe in evolution, they don't believe in creation, uh, they believe that the LGBT movement is just fine, or they don't believe we don't take the responsibility serious enough to determine, is that who's going to train my child for eight hours a day? And the problem is that the results have now been revealed that it's an unsuccessful plan. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are in a a big mess today because Christians have just given the responsibility of anybody to train their children without any thought that 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 person who's going to train my child does not have the best interest of my child when it comes to the things of the Word of God. You know what the Bible said? Paul uh, t- Paul told um, Timothy, just as Lois and Eunice trained you, that you, that you are the older ladies. You're to train the children. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so, whether you do, uh, so whatever you do, mom, do not abdicate your responsibility to train your children. That means that if I have to work. Therefore, where my child goes in a preschool center, in a preschool setting, it's going to be where there's a godly influence and not someone of the world that I have no idea who is with my child. Do you turn your children over to someone so easily, Um, I'm just puzzled why parents are So easily able to give their children to someone else to train their children without thought, what does God say about it? It's your responsibility, mom and dad, more specifically mom, and we can point that out from Deuteronomy chapter 6, for the mom to train and teach their children. And if you really love your children, you'll lead them. It's a scriptural principle. If you really love your children, you, mom, will lead them. We have a whole generation of children who have been raised by childcare workers, uh, uh, and they have adopted a love for and been introduced to the things of this world. Folks, they are introducing the LGBT, gender-affirming, damnable heresies to children as young as three and four. And we have parents who are putting their children in preschool and child care centers without any thought. Of what they're going to be exposed to. And the books that will be read in those child care centers. Well, when Paul penned this letter to Titus, Christianity was a new thing. And the values of the Christian home stood in stark contrast to the culture. Today, nothing has changed. 2,000 years later, as we apply these timeless principles and adopt biblical lifestyles, our families are going to stand out also. The fact is, Mom, I know you say this, I love my child. If you really love your child, you'll lead your child. If you really love your child, you will make sure of their training. You will make sure of their influence that is in their life. God, characteristic number three, yeah, I'm really sweating them. we got a long way to go. Christian women are to be discreet. In chapter 2, verse number 5, that's the exact word that is used, is that Christian women are to be discreet. This word discreet here in verse number 5 is from the same Greek word uh, temperate in verse number two. Here's what it means. Self-controlled. It means sober minded. It means sensible. Pastors or elders are to have this quality. Older men in chapter two, verse two, are to have this quality. All believers in chapter two and verse 12 are to have these qualities. And the Bible says even very specifically that the women are to have this quality of being discreet. Uh, Crete was a very immoral place. Uh, There was all kinds of, any sin that you could think of, it was available on the island of Crete some 2,000, years ago. And that's why Paul repeatedly tells Titus to remind the believers to be sober-minded, to be temperate, to be discreet. Ladies, this was uh, particularly important for the younger women. Ladies, especially those in their late teen and early adult years, and I cannot express enough how important it is for you to be discreet or to be self-controlled. You cannot just take your brain out of gear, and you cannot just always follow the world's crowd. We must have our guard up on time. Do you know, may I just say this, is that you're making decisions right now that will affect you for the rest of your life. And if you do not exercise self-control, you may tarnish and defile everything that God wants to bless. What do you mean, Pastor Mark? Can you be specific? Yes, I can be specific. We had a 16-year-old in, uh, uh, in a church in, in times past here, and, and uh, a mom and dad uh, talked to us about how to have the talk to make sure that their, their, their child didn't get pregnant. And I said, well, first of all, if you're talking about how to keep your child from getting pregnant, that's the wrong premise, that's, that's the wrong talk. Do you realize there's still something right with uh, uh, a 16, 17, 18-year-old uh, that's in your home, that's, that, that's in high school. There's still something that's right with them being a virgin. Mom and dad, that responsibility falls on you to have the talk that it's a godly thing to keep your purity until that time period which you get married. The real life flies in the face of uh, of our modern feministic society and it makes me archaic and old but I'm okay with being archaic old and biblical Amen. and the fact of the matter is is that mom and dad as this mother who was a member who was a member of our church said well I just made sure I taught them about birth control because i don't want the, i don't want I don't want any baby right now My friend, I disagree with that. We shouldn't have to teach our children that live in our home about birth control. What we teach them about is abstinence, about being discreet. That means that we are sober minded and we are temperate. All right, let's just move on. Godly characteristic number four Christian women, if they're going to be successful, to be chaste. Chaste. Verse number five, that word chaste is from hagnos, a Greek word which means clean, innocent, modest, pure. It refers to moral purity and, and married women. It refers to fidelity and faithfulness to her husband. And it means faithfulness in mind as well as over the body. And For unmarried Christian women, being chaste or pure, uh, keeping yourself sexually pure for your future husband. It means uh, it, it means not giving the precious gift of your virginity away to some guy who's going to break up with you 30 seconds later. Be proud of your virginity, ladies. If you're single, do not be ashamed of ever being a virgin. Um, uh, You can never be like that again. Your purity is a great treasure to be reserved for the man that you are going to love forever. You may be thinking, you sound just like my grandparents. Sadly, I'm of the generation of grandparent where I'm the last generation that believes this. Because there's many sitting here today that as long as you don't get pregnant, don't get some STD, then you're successful. Dad, you ought to want to kill the guy that takes that precious gift away from your daughter. I didn't say do it. I said that ought to be something that... (laughs) That ought to be something that wells up inside you when some guy manhandles your daughter and ultimately breaks up with, with her and leaves her in an emotional distress that she never had to be in the first place. I just ask you if your parents and you're a mother. There's something about teaching your daughter to be chaste and pure. Godly characteristic number five, Christian women, they're to be homemakers. Let's just make this all better, all right? So. <laughs> Christian, Christian, successful Christian women are to be homemakers. What in the world is that? haven't. What, Pastor Armstrong, did you know this is 2023? Well, the Bible says this. So let's just use the Bible and not my words. The Bible says this, that women are to be keepers... At Raytheon. Keepers at the Air Force. Keepers at let let me say this. The Bible says this. I know some of your beads of sweat are already coming out. The Bible says that women who are going to be successful Christian women are to be keepers at home, homemakers. It's from a Greek word that simply means this. So that you don't get confused. You think like, really, I'm I'm really too crazy. It means a guardian of the house. It doesn't mean that that there's something wrong if she works outside the house. So let me just dispel that. because Some of you thought that's where I was going. That's not what that that phrase means. And by the way, it's been misused by a lot of pastors. Let me just say, it's been misused. That is not what that means. The actual wording here means that the A successful, godly Christian woman is to be the guardian of her home. That changes that and helps us understand that it carries the idea of one who cares for her household. In other words, a Christian woman is one whose first priority is the care and smooth function of her household. She's the manager of her household. Listen, if you were to walk into my house, I I have my end table. That's it. That's all that's mine. We have one little rule in my in my house: don't mess with my end table. Whatever's stacked up there, if, 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 that, that's mine. The rest of the house is yours. You can manage the rest of the house. Just don't mess with my end table, unless your mother in laws coming over today and then had to be cleaned. But anyway, all right. So, <laughs> ladies, this is this is not something that you should absolutely chafe under at all. You have the most awesome privilege. The most awesome responsibility to own, manage your house. You are to be the guardian and keeper of your house. Now, nothing fires off a feminist uh, uh, more than teaching on this. And radical feminists believe that a woman who stays at home is somehow uh, imprisoned by some type of chauvinistic, tyrannical husband. That is not what this verse says. It's not. In a, it, you're not in a prison to take care of your house. That's a... God-given gift that he's given to you and said, this is your responsibility is that you are to take care of your house. You're to manage your house. The husband merely gets the privilege to live there. That changes the meaning of this verse when you understand what Paul is saying here. Um... Yeah, you know, I can even illustrate that the wife is to have a variety of skill sets, and she 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 is to make sure she has an incredibly difficult job. She's to take care of the children and make sure that that the the the, the walls and the parameters and the teachings uh, are in line with scripture, and and she's a uh, and she's supposed to. To make sure her children learn educationally. And, a, and she and has to understand that my house is a priority and my husband is a priority. And she works hard to make sure these things are done. And Proverbs chapter 31 says that she is industrious and she she makes sure that, that she financially uh, that that she's frugal in the home and make sure that financially the home doesn't get in trouble and that she's taking care of the needs of the home. There's nothing feministic about that. It's an awesome, tremendous responsibility for the women of our church. And the older ladies, the younger ladies need to see that from you of how you manage and you're the guardian and keeper of your home. Martin Luther, he once quipped, In domestic affairs, I defer to Katie. That was his wife. Otherwise, I'm led by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and speaking of his eight-year marriage to actress-singer Barbara Streisand, actor Elliot Gould said this, It is difficult to be married to someone who was married to her success and therefore not married to me. Catherine Hepburn said, I'm not sure women can successfully pursue a career and be a mother at the same time. The trouble with women today is that they want to do everything. Moms, you're to love your children. You're to make sure that your children are trained. And in doing that, you're to be the guardian, the fierce bulldog, the tiger, the lioness of your home that's not going to allow the evil one to come in. Another actress, Joanne Woodward, said this, My career has suffered because of the children, and my children have suffered because of my career. I've been torn and haven't been able to function fully in either arena. I don't know one person who does both successfully. The former prime minister of Israel said this, You can get used to anything.